just want to say well done to Carl Hansen, who led worship this morning. <clears throat> Isn't that brilliant? We, um, Carl is, is mostly a part of the evening service. He comes through there most of the time, but he's been playing electric guitar. You might have recognized him. And the first time to lead worship, and I thought he did a particularly fantastic job. And uh, he, he stepped out in faith. He took some risks today, did some oldies. And it's not easy to do a whole bunch of celebratory songs, celebration songs at the end of a year. And everybody's tired and crusty, as we've been called already. And uh, rightly so, by the way. We feel crusty sometimes on a Sunday morning. It's not easy to get us moving, but you did a fantastic job. I was so proud of what you did and, and so blessed. Uh, well done, Paul. I'm excited for you leading more worship into the future. As uh, Lufefe said, we started a series on faith last week, Heroes of Faith, and we're so, uh, uh, Stan spoke on Enoch, and we're taking our cue from Hebrews 11, and Hebrews 11 has, is full of names of heroes, and Stan spoke on Enoch, so you can see it starts, Hebrews 11 starts with Abraham, so we're not necessarily going through this chronologically in terms of when they lived, or even as they are mentioned in Hebrews 11. Rather, instead, each preacher has been given the choice to preach on who, whom God leads them to preach on. So Megan is actually preaching on Gideon tonight. Excited for my wife to be speaking in the evening service. And today I'm going to be speaking on somebody that you might not necessarily have ever heard of before. And what we're going to look at is... Because of the whole series, I mean, faith is quite a big topic, isn't it? And in this series, what we're hoping to do is help you to see what faith looks like, what faith feels like, and then how to act on faith. Because faith is something that encompasses and takes everything from our hearts to our heads to our hands. It's something that we are meant to feel, to think, and to act on. So we're hopefully going to be able to unpack all of those things over the next few weeks and maybe even into the new year. The whole year next year is going to be about faith. So there is lots to do around this topic. And what we hope in all of this is that in the end you're going to be activated into having and to operating in more faith than you ever have in your life. And I really believe God has got that for us in 2020. So we're laying foundations now. Today I'm going to talk about something, help you get more accurate, an accurate way of feeling and thinking in faith. So I've chosen someone from the list that is a little bit obscure. And some of you have never heard of this person before. And his name is Barak. Hero of faith, Barak. And he's more than just a former American president. That is not the Barack that we're going to be talking about today. And some of you only just remembered that Obama had a first name. But we're looking at Hebrews 11.32. I'm just going to mention, him, uh, mention this verse and then we're going to look back to where he belongs as, they, uh, as the lights try to find me. I don't know if I need to run around. <laughs> Okay, hold on a second. Okay. I'm going to stay put. You can try to find me. It's almost like a game of cat and mouse. I almost want to play it with you, but I'm, I'll just give you a moment there. But if you look in Hebrews, I'm sorry. It's just, I find humor in strange things. Hebrews 11.32 says this. I'm going to have to read it on my paper because it's too small to read without any light on my, in my Bible. 
And what more shall I say? For time will, would fail me to tell you of Gideon, who Megan's going to speak about tonight. Barak, there's his name, Barak, in the list of Hebrews. Samson, Jephthah, have you ever heard of Jephthah before? David and Samuel, those are some familiar names, and the prophets. And it says in verse 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms. Conquered kingdoms. Barak is one of these guys that conquered kingdoms. And if you turn to Judges 4, you'll find the story of Barak. Judges, by the way, are people that lived between the time of kind of the patriarchs, Abraham, Moses, those famous names that you know, Noah, all those guys, and between them and then when King Saul came on board. So you remember Israel became a monarchy whenever Samuel anointed King Saul to take the, the throne. And then David came after him. Well, between the time of the patriarchs and the time of the kings, Israel was governed by judges. And they were men and women of faith that rose up, and they were often either prophets or they were warriors, and they helped to bring some kind of governance. And even setting Israel free often from the oppressors of the time in the land of Canaan in Israel. Barak gets mentioned in Judges here, but he wasn't a judge. He was a military commander, as we're going to see from the story of Barak. Now, I know it is late in the year, and I know because you are crusty, it's going to be a little bit difficult to follow this story because it's a little bit convoluted and it takes some twists and turns and there's lots of names mentioned. So I had mercy on you. And not only am I going to put the text up, but I'm going to put some images up with the text to help you follow along the story. Because shine is not in its traditional form, I thought I would bring shine to everyone here this morning and we're going to do a picture lesson through Barak. And because the pictures I chose look like they come from the 1970s, decades before I was born, <laughs> I decided to go retro today with the look and feel. I hope you like it. But let's look at Judges 4. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud. There's another judge. Ehud died. Very cool story. You should go back and read that one. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Now the commander of Jabin's army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hegoyim. So if you look at the map behind me, you can see there that Hazor's up top. That's where Jabin is from. But his commander, Sisera, more in the center of Israel. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For Sisera had 900 chariots of iron. This is a scary dude. That must 900, I mean, they mentioned that specifically. It must have been pretty rare to get chariots of iron, but this guy had 900 of them. And he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. And she used to sit under the palm of Deborah. Isn't that great? You have a tree named after you. 
We name streets after people these days. Back then it was, you know that palm of Deborah. You go right there at the palm of Deborah and then to the left and you'll find my house. Between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came out for her to her for judgment. So you can see she's down south in Bethel. She sent and summoned Barak. There he is, our hero of the faith the son of Ebenoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, now notice where Barak is from. He's up top in Kadesh, near where Jabin was ruling, near where the oppressor's central headquarters were. She sent and summoned him, and she says this, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river. Who did the drawing out? The Lord. To meet you by the river Kishon and his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. Who's going to give him into your hand? The Lord. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. So they now gone back up to the top to Kadesh. Now Herber, there's another person mentioned here, another name, Herber the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. Remember, Hobab, another name for Hobab was Jethro. You might remember the father-in-law of Moses, and he was a Kenite. And Herber is from his descendants there. And he pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. Okay, that's where up top there. When Sisera was told that Barak the son of Abnoam had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera, that's the commander of Jabin's army, called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Herosheth Hegoim, to the river Kishon. So all of his fellow city friends, citizens came with him. And Deborah said to Barak, Up your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak, and we're going to see why that's a key phrase there later. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. So you can see Mount Tabor. And remember where Herber was, close to that area, Lake Galilee. So, the Lord rooted Sisera. Who did the rooting? And all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. We're going to see why he did that just now. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army of Herosheth, Herosheth Hegoim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael. Okay, here's another person. Jael was the wife of Herber the Kenite. 
For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Herber the Kenite. So the bad king Jabin had peace with Herber the Kenite. Now, where Herber was at this stage, we don't know. Most likely he was somewhere because you will see in a moment he doesn't feature. We don't see him at all. Jael's in, in charge at this stage of their, of their household. And Jael came out to meet Sisera. So Sisera, remember, is running on foot, comes to her tents, and she says, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. She's sneaky here, just warning you. It doesn't go as Sisera was hoping. And he said to her, I'm just kind of letting you know that because I know the kids are in this morning. Some of them are young. They might just get afraid. When we watch scary movies at our house, I have to say, now, it might not go well for this dude right now. He might just get decapitated. You might want to just close your eyes. So I'm warning you now, if you're sensitive, this story does take a dark turn. And he said to her, please give me a little drink, a water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. I wonder if there was something in the milk, because he falls fast asleep here. And he said to her, he says to her, stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, the wife of Herber, took a tent peg. I'll just stop there for a moment. Back then... It was the ladies that set up camp and took it down. They put up the tents and took the tents down. It might have been because the men were lazy. Some of you are thinking that. It's because the men were off at war. Most likely it was because they were out trying to make a living and bring back some plunder for the wife at home who was putting the tents up and down. But just so you know, this is a skilled woman with a tent peg. Just be aware, if you're married to a wife who's got skills with a hammer and nails, sleep at night. The wife, she took a tin peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. That tends to happen when a tent peg goes through your temple into the ground. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking, or at least what's left of the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg in his temple. I wonder at this moment what Barak's thinking. I'm sure he's remembering that Deborah said he's going to die at the hand of a woman. And he's probably thinking, wow, this is some woman. Unbelievable. I imagine he was uh, saying, well, look, can you clean it up? Because, I mean, what am I going to do here? So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Wow, what a story. But why is Barak the example for us? Why not Deborah or Jael? Although they did amazing things, Barak's the one who gets mentioned. Why? I believe it's because Barak teaches us something. He teaches us how faith comes from hearing and obeying God's words. 
how faith comes from God's words. Through Barak's story, we're going to see three truths about how God uses his words. And here's the first one. God uses his words. They come in external, internal, and eternal ways. So those three things. This is my first point. God's words come in external, internal, and eternal ways. Thank you for that light. Don't move that light. I needed to actually read this. Just stay still. Stay still. Verse 6 says this. She sent and summoned Barak the son of Abnoam from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Now when you first read this, you're thinking Deborah comes to him with a fresh word. He's never heard it before. But in the Hebrew, that is actually a question. Has not the Lord already spoken to you? In other words... Barak has already heard the word that Deborah is about to give him. Has he not already spoken to you before? Commentator Matthew Henry says, The spirit of prophecy in Deborah confirms with the spirit of a soldier. He already has an internal word. How does God's word come to us? Internally, externally, and then in also eternal ways. Now, I want you to think of a chair for a moment. Jonas, I'm going to need your help. Bring me a chair so I can illustrate this. I do have one on the screen. But I think it's often helpful to have a visual here. Here's a chair. Now you notice three parts to a chair. You've got this part that you sit on. You've got the legs and you've got the back of the chair. An internal word is like this seat right here. It's something that you feel God speaking to you. An internal word. You can hear God's voice for yourself. That's the beauty of being a believer, especially believers, because the Bible says the Spirit of God lives within us, which means we have access to hear God's voice better than anyone else does. Although others who are not Christians can hear the voice of God. Praise the Lord. Many hear God's voice or get a dream from the Lord or whatever it might be, and they turn to God. But we have the Spirit of God living inside of us by His Holy Spirit. We can get internal words. John 10, 27 tells us, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You may hear them through an, an audible voice. That would be incredible. I've never had an audible voice, but I have felt the, an angel once slap me on the feet. And that is, that is the truth. I've seen angels myself. But I was lying in my bed and I was moaning to God. I was saying, God, you never come to me. Literally, I was out voicing this, saying, God, you never come to me. I never feel you. Are you even there? And then all of a sudden, from my feet, I felt whack. And this light went, and it just slapped my feet. And I was like, oh, God, you are here. I'm sorry, Lord, for rebuking you. Thank you, Jesus, for your touch. Thank you. And I was, I was grateful because the feet don't leave a bruise. You know. But anyway, but... Because if I have been on my front side, there's no telling how the angel might have come at me at that moment. But, but the Lord slapped me on my feet, off my feet. No, sorry. Yeah, he slapped me on my feet. Praise the Lord. The God might come to you with an audible voice. Listen, my friend. Luke, Luke. The no, it's not going to sound like Luke the force is with you. But it might be something that you can hear. Most of the time, it's something that we feel. It's an impression inside. Sometimes it is a dream. But God's word comes to us in internal ways. It's like the seat. But if the seat doesn't have legs to stand on, you don't want to put your faith in that chair. 
It needs legs to stand on. And that's why we have the eternal word of God. Did you know that when the Lord speaks to you, you'll, it will never contradict the eternal word of God. So in other words, if you're feeling like, like if the angel had slapped my foot and I felt the Lord say, you're a loser, I would know this is not the Lord. This is another angel disguised as light. Because the word of God shows us, we see that, that God doesn't speak that way to people. It confirms to us that God is full of love. He's encouraging. He says, come on. Not your loser, but actually I am with you. You look in the word of God, you'll see constantly those that are moaning, like Gideon we're going to see tonight. God says, what's wrong with you? I am with you. Come on, we can do this. Never, you're a loser, I'm out of here. I once had a lady tell me, I feel God's, he had not been unfaithful. He had, he had not been abusive. She was just tired of him. And in order to get it past the pastor of the church, she gives, tells me, God spoke to me. And I said, that's really interesting that God would say that. Considering that the Bible says God hates divorce. Actually, 1 Corinthians tells us, do not get divorced. So specifically says that, do not get divorced. So I said, it doesn't sound like this is a word from the Lord that you can put your faith in. It's never going to contradict an eternal word. Isaiah 48 says this, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And in the New Testament, 1 Peter 1.25 says, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and the word is the good news that was preached to you. So we cannot say an internal word can replace the eternal word. They have to line up. If they don't line up, you've got legs and a seat, but they're not on top of each other. You sit on that seat, it's not going to go well for you. But when they line up, now we can act in faith. If it is the Lord, it will not contradict. It will always be confirmed by the word of the Lord, the Bible, which is for all time. But now... Let's say someone comes and brings you an external word. An external word is like a, a prophetic word from somebody else who comes. And a prophetic word is simply someone who feels like they have something of the heart of God to share with you. So they come and say, I feel God is saying this. Deborah brought an external word to Barak. That's like the back of a chair. You don't need an external word to put your faith in what God has said. An internal word, an eternal word together, you can actually walk in faith. But I tell you, when an external word comes, it's like, oh, okay, I can rest in this now. I got a little bit more support. I know what I'm going for. God loves to bring external words, prophetic words to people. And he's done this a number of times in our my making own life, throughout our lives. But I remember the first time as a married couple that we really saw the three of these things line up. We were married May 31st, 1997. Before we got married, we were praying about God's plans for our lives. And we had a list of six options, six things that we said the Lord could lead us. And most, uh, several of them kind of included studying further. I had gotten a degree already at university and it was studying Bible or doing something a little bit more and uh, we decided, because someone had given us this advice, separate, pray, fast, and I believe the Lord's going to give you both a word of what to do after you get married. So we're like, that sounds great. So we did it. For a day we prayed and we fasted. And then we came back together. 
Now, I knew God had spoken to me while we, had, while we were praying and fasting. So I came and I knew God had said, however, he said something to me that was not on the, six of, uh, the list of six options that we were praying for. So it was outside of what Megan and I were praying for. I came with, together with Megan. I said, Megan, did God speak to you? She says, yes, the Lord told me what we should do. I was like, oh, she's going to pick something from the six. And I've got something completely outside of the option of six. So I was like, ooh, it's not going to go well. Who wants to go first? So we both felt like we had, with a, with a false word, rather than stoning her, <laughs> let me try to persuade her so I'm going to go first. So I said, the Lord has told me that we are to move to England and join a project with the homeless. Megan says, that's what the Lord also told me. I said, what? So here's the amazing thing is the year before, Megan had gone to this project with the homeless and she had worked for three weeks there. She had come back. Now, we had talked about it during that time, but a year later, we're now praying and the Lord said, you need to go back to that project to me. Said the same thing to Megan. So we were like, wow, an internal word. Both of us had an internal word. But during our time together, particularly when we got filled with the Spirit, the Lord had already been giving us words from the Bible that were to define who we were. Isaiah 61 was one of those scriptures. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. We knew that this was going to be a life verse for us. And we had already been drawn towards working with the poor. So whenever we heard that word, those, that internal word that we had, it was already based on an eternal word that God had already been working in our lives. So we knew, oh, we've got it. And then for our honeymoon, we got married. We went to England and decided to visit this church that has the homeless project. But we hadn't told people there that we wanted to come and join them. One of the pastor's wives came up to us, one of the elder's wives, and said, I feel the Lord says this is going to be a home away from home for you. An external word. We had an internal word, an eternal word, and an external word. That was it. We knew God had called us. We went to England. We served there for six years. I, became a, I, I came on staff at that church, did my theology training there, and, be, and that's where I was trained to become a pastor. But the Bible is your foundation with an inner conviction of the Holy Spirit and the words that he gives you. And when trusted people come and speak, now you can start to act in faith. Look for these things in your life. And if the Lord has done this, you need to act in faith. And you can. God's words also form the foundation of faith. Verse 6 says this, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. Barak was able to act in faith because he had God's word, which enabled him to think with faith. To act without God's word is to move in presumption, not faith. At a conference a number of years ago, a lady was speaking and she said, uh, some of you are disappointed in God. And I, th I wondered to myself, I, I wonder, if, am I disappointed in God? Am I holding some disappointment? So I went home from that conference and 
I started soul searching and I realized that I was harboring disappointment in God. So I made a list of things that I felt disappointed in. One of those things was that my music career had not gone anywhere. You might not know this, but I was a worship leader and a songwriter. I uh, was leading worship and I had, I had done a few albums as well, CDs. And none of those CDs, none of those songs went very wide. They had a little bit of play in some churches here and there was doing some, of the, doing some songs. But I always was disappointed that none of the stuff, although I worked so hard, ever went anywhere. And God wasn't on it, wasn't using it. When I started going through that list and saying, do I have, has God actually said that these things would happen, the disappointments, I realized that no, no, no. And the music thing, God had never told me that my music was going to go wide or even that I should pursue a life of leading worship, trying to be the next Israel Houghton or, or Jeremy Riddle. In fact, when I was super honest with myself, I remembered a lady who came and brought me a prophetic word once. And she said, God's going, you're like David, and God's going to have you lay down your harp, and you're going to take up a scepter. You're no longer going to lead in worship, but you're going to lead in, in the leadership in the church. And I remember being so upset at this word. And she was, a, she was a well-known. She prophesied Lady Diana's death, like before Lady Diana died. She had known that she was going to die in flower. And so this lady was like, whew, this is a big prophetess amongst us I was ready for the word and she gave me the word I was like I rebuke that word (laughs) I've come too far work too hard I was disappointed in God over an expectation that was all mine and never his and there are many of you today if you look in your disappointment towards God if you were to put it down and you would say do I have a foundation for this disappointment you might realize that you don't That the Lord has perhaps never spoken to you about the very thing that you're holding against him. Search your heart because it will keep you from being able to act on what the Lord has spoken to you. Once I got that through that, I was able to say, Lord, I'll lay down my harp. I'll lead in whatever way you want. Whether it goes wide or stays small, whatever it is, I'm going to submit to you. And what joy. I can't imagine right now traveling, trying to play music from stage to stage. It's like the worst thing. I love to build. Love to build his church. Love doing what I'm doing. Barak was the commander of an army. He could have easily just gone out and fought Sisera. Didn't need the word of the Lord. He's a commander of the army. And then just go out and do it. And maybe he would have succeeded or maybe not. If he had fought without hearing the Lord say fight and then he lost, could he blame God? No. In fact, Barak wanted so much to hear the word of the Lord and for the Lord to be with him that he tells Deborah, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you do not go with me, I will not go. And Deborah's response, which we're going to look at in a moment, I believe is something of a faith response. At first, it looks like it's like, hey, you're being a coward here. Not at all. What was beautiful is that he wanted the word of the Lord to be on the battlefield with him, to be out there with him, God's presence, as he recognized it in Deborah. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's the foundation of faith to be able to hear the Lord. 
but a wait on the Lord. And it applies in every single area of your life from a serious move that you might be thinking of right now when some of you are thinking about going to another job, whatever it might be, has the Lord spoken? Have you gotten on your knees yet? Or does it just look more exciting over there? It's presumption. Let the Lord speak to you. If you have an internal word that's at, 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 and, and, it's, and it matches up with the word of God, you might not get an external word, but go with that. But if you don't have any of that, please, can I ask you, think it through. Think it through. Whether it's a move, even in your job, putting money here, putting money there, so many people taking risks without actually taking them in God. The Lord wants to walk with you and give you faith. If the Lord has spoken to you, you might not succeed at first because sometimes it takes a while to be able to trust and push through, but you will succeed. If the Lord has not spoken to you, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But either way, the odds are you'll hurt yourself. Brings us to our last point. God's words come with God's agenda, not yours, and for his glory, not yours. Verse 9 says, I will surely go with you, Deborah says to Barak. Nevertheless, the Lord on which you are, sorry, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So at first, this looks like a rebuke. Like Deborah saying, You chicken. Oh man, are you scared? You're a warrior. Man, you're whining like a little girl because of that. God's going to, give Jabe, going to give Sisera into the hand of a little girl. Not at all. Jael, first of all, is no little girl as we've seen. She's a pretty hunk of woman. Yeah? She's just straight through the temple. Deborah as well. This isn't about whether a girl was weaker than a guy. Not at all. God's not giving the glory to Jael. He's not giving the glory to anyone. He's taking the glory for himself. This is the Lord's battle. The point of this is that Barak, the army commander, is rightly, justly forfeiting his glory to God. So Deborah is saying, well done. See, he's saying right here, you know what? I'm not going anywhere unless the Lord goes with me. You are representing God here. you got to come with me. I'm going in for God. She's saying, well done. And because of that, the Lord's going to be with you. He's going to give the sister into the hand of a woman. But he's going to take the glory because of it. It's an honorable thing that Barak's doing. That's why he's mentioned among the heroes of faith. He has humbled himself to let God have the glory. Do you remember what's happening in the story? God told Barak where to set up his army. He gives the map. He says, you're going to go here. Set up here. Go here. Sisera then came to him. He says, I will lure Sisera into this place, which the Lord did. Sisera, remember, had 900 iron chariots coming after Barak's foot soldiers. If you read further in chapter 5, it says this in verse 20. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. The heavens had opened up for the war. God brought the rains and the mud. The chariots then were of no use to Sisera. You couldn't get the chariots through the mud because the heavens opened up and the river comes through and washes them. That's why he had to flee on foot. That's why he's running on foot. Sisera then is killed by someone Sisera thinks is an ally. 
God lures him. God traps him. God sabotages him. God pegs him. And God gets the glory. It's absolutely amazing. And Barak is honored thousands of years later as we sit here today in this book of Hebrews for letting, listen to this, letting God fight his battles for him. You want to be a hero of faith, you'll have to learn to let God fight your battles for you. It's called faith. Faith is when we put all our hope in God and his word, and then we let him do his thing for our lives. Listen, for his glory. For his glory. You want to hang on to the glory and go try to charge out and kill, conquer kingdoms on your own? You will hurt yourself. But you want to be a man or a woman of faith. That's what it takes. God had a plan. He told Barak, stick to the plan. The only way Barak could have messed it up is if Barak had decided to take the glory for himself and charge out ahead and be a hero. If you want the glory, odds are you, might not, you won't succeed. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. His ways may not be your ways but most likely, that's because the way you would do it would take glory for yourself. I discovered that time and time again in my own life. When I start mapping out, making my own plan, I realize at the end of it is so that I can get some glory out of it. And when I lay it down and I say, Lord, blank page, it's you. It's all for you and it's always been for you. All of a sudden, the Lord starts to speak to me in internal ways. I start to search scriptures more than ever because I'm, I, I, I'm reliant on him. I can't do it without him. And then all of a sudden I start to see, all of a sudden these external words start popping out of nowhere. And people start speaking. And I know the Lord is in this. God wants to give you faith. Because he wants you to feel it. He wants you to think it. But he also wants you to act on it. And he'll do it. This is the way that heroes are made of faith. This is the way that we operate. This is the way that the faith-filled person of Jesus Christ lives their life. Is it the way that you are living your life? When's the last time you've considered the word of the Lord? Next year is going to be a big year for you. I promise you. God's got plans for you. If you're a member of this church, I know because he's got big plans for this church. And you're part of those plans. We have to prepare ourselves now and be ready to say, Lord, I submit to your word, to your ways. Give me your faith and fight my battles. Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you for Barak all those years ago. But Lord, there are many Baraks here today. There are many Debras, there are jails here, Lord, that will conquer kingdoms for your glory, not for our own, for your glory. And I want to pray, Father, right now for each of us as, you're, as this word comes and penetrates our hearts, Lord, that we would begin to make choices to say, for you, your way, speak, Lord, I'm listening. Maybe you want to say that prayer with me right now in your own heart, for you, your ways. Speak, Lord. I'm listening. God, you've heard those that have said that prayer even right now. Thank you for your faithfulness as they step out in faith 
as they lay the foundation for them to see you do great things in your life and beyond, in their lives and beyond. We thank you, Father, for your word of us, for us today. In your precious name we pray. Amen.